well, 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 welcome to I Developer Live, episode number 54. And uh, here I am in the studio, sat down for the first time today after my experiments with the standing up desk. Now, I don't know if he sat down or he stood up, but with me today is Michael Simmons. How are you, Michael? Doing well. I'm uh, awake, so that's a good start. Well, that, that's all. But it's early in the morning for you because you're, you're in California, yeah? Yeah, it's about 9.15, which, uh, yeah, it's earlier than usual for me. <laughs> yeah, well, for a developer, that's just really early. Now, another man who's in California but can't be with us today, well, Mr. John Fox. In fact, John's not going to be with us for another two or three weeks. Now, if you only tune in this show for John's wit and uh, repartee, then I'm afraid you're disappointed and you may as well just tune out now. So we'll just I'm going to give you a moment or two while um, the flocks of you just leave the show. Yes, if you're looking for an entertaining show with uh, you know, lots of fun people who'll talk a lot, you should leave now. Because this is not that show. I thought you were a marketing man. <laughs> oh, 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 I was supposed to actually be fun and interesting. Okay, sorry about that. Well, you know, John Fox is a uh, hard act to follow. So for me to even pretend like I could take over for him or fill in for him or even do as well as him would be presumptuous at best. It would, but there we are. John, we love you, and I hope you're having a a great day and um, all the other stuff that you're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, and we will look forward to uh, seeing you back somewhere around June 17th. So there you are. If you love John and it's only tuning in for John, you're part of the John Fan Club. June the 17th is when he's back. Let me just chime in here. Tune in. The only reason why I agreed to do this podcast is because I thought he was going to be on it. What kind of uh, bait and switch is this? Yeah, well, you know, it's um, if you don't ask, you don't know. It's your, uh, prob- your problem. If you have, if you have, learn, if you have demands learn. for the green room, then you should let us know in, in advance. <laughs> uh, Michael, remind people who you are, because I know you've been on a few times, but we might have some listeners on who um, don't know who you are. So just uh, just just tell us about you, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm actually excited about being on more than a couple times. I'm feeling like you know maybe I'm maybe I'm actually trying to get John Fox's job. Hmm. Hmm. But I do. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I'm Michael Simmons. I am half of Flexibits, and we make a calendar app called Fantastical. And I've been doing the Apple thing for about, it's crazy to say this, but about 15 years, uh, being basically in software, uh, hardware now and then, and doing a lot of business development, project management, and app design. That makes you, I mean, that's a long, long, long time. And do you still love it? Oh, I love it more than ever. Uh, very interesting. I was actually talking to someone the other day about it who was like, you've been doing it 15 years. You must have seen some bad times. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. Back in 2000, I had a, I'd moved from New York to California to work for a software company. And I remember getting heckled by people like, how can you put up your life for Apple? You know, They're going away. They're going to be dying. And now to still be doing that, because obviously I loved it then, because Apple was dying. And you know, to stick with it, it has to be something you love. And now where it's really popular and really good and really prevalent where it helps people. You know, people want apps that help them be more productive, like Fantastical, for example. It's just really good. It's a great time to not only be passionate about something, but also have it be something that people really want to use. Well, I'll try to make the smoothest link I can because John is the man for the links. About 2000, that's the last time you missed a WWDC. And like me, I think this year you're missing WWDC. Yeah, this will, it's, it's, Really a crazy, crazy year. Um, we're moving back to the Bay Area. Uh, currently, we live up north near Sacramento, but we're moving back to the Bay Area, and our move coincides with WDC. So definitely sad. It'll be the first one that I haven't been to in about 12 years, but got to move, got to 
can't can't tell the wife I'm going to be gone at WWDC while you move. <laughs> I mean, but the point is because neither of us have a WWDC ticket, neither of us can actually see the schedule that has been released on the WWDC t- uh, WWDC website today which means neither of us can break the NDA because we can't actually see the information. So we can make up whatever crap we like um, and, and not be violating anything. So, I mean, one of the things I've picked up from Twitter is that um, there are an awful lot of those sessions that said to be announced. Now, if you've never been to WWDC, you've never seen a schedule, you, know, you get a, a schedule goes up a few weeks before, just like it has now. There's always this, a number of sections that say... Um, you know, to be announced, to be announced, to be announced. Now, what normally happens is those are sections um, that are going to be sessions based on something that has been announced in the keynote um, or, or one of the State of the Union addresses on, on the Monday. Um, and so the fact that there are lots of spaces um, suggests that there's lots of things that are going to be announced that we haven't seen yet. Um, equally, uh, another tip that I would say is um, any to-be-announced session that's in the main room. Was that the Presido? The the Presidio room, Presidio. the Presidio, Presidio room, that's Presidio. it. Yes, in, in Moscone is always one. You know, this is a big thing. Yeah, because the Presidio is you know the room that holds three, four thousand people, um, and they put the really big sessions in there. And you know, there's a few of those down. So we are totally at ease to speculate. What are we going to see in these T- TBA sessions? What, what's your thoughts, Michael? You know, obviously iOS six seems to be the big topic of everyone, and obviously I'm hopeful that it'll be announced and hopeful that there'll be a lot of really good things. So I'm assuming iOS six will be a big part of it. Another big part of it, of course, will be Mountain Lion, which we all have seen, but I'm guessing that in some of the breakout sessions, especially there's so many TBDs, according to what we're reading, um, there's going to be some Mountain Lion news as well. So it'll be it'll be interesting, but I, I believe iOS 6. Well, it'll be iOS 6 and Mountain Lion. I mean, both of those are going to be pretty big topics. Obviously, with Mountain Lion shipping this summer, you know, Apple did say it would be sometime this summer. Um there's going to be a lot of sessions that developers need to attend in terms of new technologies and finding out about the frameworks, and I'm sure there's going to be changes we don't even know about. You, you see, something that's going to be coming out, you know, coming up maybe here now is, um, in the past, there's been dub-dubs where there's been huge announcements, and there's been dub-dubs where it's just sort of, you know, things are ticking over, and here are some more sessions. But with the recent announcements, the sort of uh, stuff that we began to hear about when Mountain Lion was first announced... I can't remember when it was, earlier this year sometime, wasn't it? Um, it it's, yeah, the, now that it, they're announcing that iOS and OS ten are almost officially, well, I guess it's unofficial because it's not fixed, but it's sort of an officially unofficial one-year release cycle. I guess there's always going to be stuff at DubDub that, that they're going to be announcing. Exactly, and it's one of those things where they have to be careful, right? Because these things have not been announced yet. But on the other hand, they have to prepare the attendees for them. So it's definitely a balancing act for Apple. And I don't envy the job of the schedulers and the people who are the planners. And of course, the awesome W, uh, I was going to say WWDR, but Worldwide Developer Relations team who puts on the show because they got to juggle all this, not have stuff leak out and have all this stuff planned and ready to go for the week of WWDC. Now, now here's something. Apple of purposely withdrawn from things like Macworld and whatever else to remove their um, hardware announcements from fixed points in the year. Um, equally, you know, they've, um, in some ways, they broke away from the iPhone announcements and, and moved it to October. So definitely on the hardware side, they've been trying to get out of this, you know, you are expecting us to announce something at these points in the year um, in order to give themselves the freedom. Are, are, but are they just almost doing the reverse in, in the software side and saying we're almost locking ourselves into having to do something every year? And, and is that good or is that bad? 
I think for software, um, they have to lock themselves into it. Otherwise, why have a WWDC, right? It's one of those things where the whole point of a WWDC is to have this convention where developers come together. Obviously, there's huge social aspects of it and great bonding features of it because that's the biggest reason I'm sad I'm not going this year is because you get to meet old friends, you get to talk about things, you get re-inspired, you hear stories, you get to talk about issues you've had and hear about issues other people have had. And it really is a great time to almost cleanse the mind and come together with what you've done in the past year. But it's also a time for Apple to talk about what they've been working on and what almost they're going to be working on. Because you can draw great conclusions, especially if you've gone years prior, of what's coming and what's going to be happening in the future. So you can kind of see frameworks that are deprecating and things they're moving away from. And then, of course, if you have the labs, you can go talk to Apple employees and say, hey, we're putting this calendar framework in our app. And they might be like, don't go there, which is great because they're helping you help them, so to speak. So you're not doing something that isn't going to be supported anymore and they're able to help you. So I think for software, they're going to always have to have some story, some announcement, something new. Otherwise, it kind of almost is against the purpose of WWDC, so to speak. Well, yeah, that's interesting. The chat room are doing a little bit of speculation. Um, Spectre thinks Apple is going to announce some huge acquisition, maybe even Twitter. Not sure about that one. Um, but could be, I guess. They, they've got enough cash. They could buy virtually anybody, couldn't they? Um, that's true. Uh, Mike Katz, more AV Foundation and UI kit stuff ported to Mountain Lion. I think you know that that's maybe a playing slightly safer Mike, if that's your proper name. <laughs> Uh, in there but uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting um i'm not going myself this year either although you know i'm still wondering whether to just maybe try and catch a last minute flight and go over for a few days but um you know if you're going to wwdc then uh, i hope you have a great time and um you know i'm sure it will leak out at some point what all these tbas were um and if it doesn't leak out immediately then hopefully we'll get the videos pretty quick this year and and again because apple will do a great job of um of getting the videos out really quick and uh, be able to get it right okay well we're going to move on in just a second to our main um uh, topic for the podcast today but i'm, I'm just going to have to just pause for a minute because i'm going to welcome back a sponsor now uh, these guys, REM Objects, they have been a sponsor with us since the beginning of time. Um, if you've not heard REM Objects uh, being um, a sponsor on this show, it's not because they've not wanted to be, it's because I've not been bothering with sponsors at that moment in time, and so, you know, we've just put it down. Whereas, you know, we've been talking again, and I've decided to bring sponsors back to the show, and, you know, first one up, first one to say, yep, we want to do it, is REM Objects. Now, uh, these guys, remobjects.com, uh, they produce uh, frameworks for doing remoting and um, briefcase modeling and uh, uh, stuff like that, that that works on lots of different platforms. But the great thing is they don't try and do all this stuff in, in sort of, um, uh, you know, just try and make everything one set of code runs everywhere. It's not all Java. If you do the Mac OS X or the iPhone stuff, it's, it's in native Cocoa, written in Objective-C, it, it all works. And actually, since they were last a sponsor, I've been playing with some of this stuff a little bit more and actually using it because we're looking at um, uh, developing a system that requires sort of uh, offline connections and and, um, and online connections and remote people. And, you know, client-server doesn't work well across the web. Um, I absolutely hate web apps myself. Uh, I, you know, working with RESTful websites 
services yeah it's okay but you know it's not just not the same and data abstract gives you this great set of tools that basically deal with all that stuff for you um, you get table objects you get row objects um, you get uh, validation rules and you just use this stuff um, and you fill your tables and do whatever else with it uh, even use bindings if that's what suits you and it just sorts out all that remoting stuff and the central stuff and the three-tier stuff for you um, and that's great now since we were last uh, a sponsor on the show um, they've introduced this thing called relativity server because uh, what happened was the the client side you could have native os 10 but for obvious reasons not many people run server side os 10 so if you want to do uh, a server you'd have to go out and develop your own server uh, either using dotnet or um mono on linux or, or whatever else but they realize that you know most people don't need anything specialist in the server they need to set up some rules they need to do some tuning they need to set up their schemas and so they produced a um, relativity server which just allows you to put that together tweak it Store, install it on your server get it running you don't even have to develop the server side it all gets handled for you so if you're looking at doing any system uh, to do with uh, you know remoting or having to use offline data in your ios or, or your or your mac apps you know do yourself a favor at least go and have a look there's a 30-day trial uh, on just the remoting SDK, or you can use Data Abstract, which gives you all the briefcasing stuff, and uh, go give it a play. I mean, you're going to see the price, and I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head. It's about nine hundred dollars, and you're going to go oh, nine hundred dollars, you know, because we're developers, we're tight. Um, but let me assure you, if you have to develop this stuff for yourself, nine hundred dollars is a drop in the ocean, <laughs> and, and someone else debugs it all for you, not even you. So. Um, uh, we want to thank REM Objects, and uh, we go back to the old saying, REM Objects, REM Objects, REM Objects. Everybody loves REM Objects. Uh, thank you for coming back as a sponsor on the show. Um, links are in the show notes as well. I'll talk a bit more about the show notes later on. And uh, thank you for them being a sponsor. Now, there we are. They got a lot of my waffle today. Ah, Michael, I need to take a break after that. So um, we're going to talk about preparing for a new software release, because that's something you're doing right now. It is. We are preparing and getting ready. I tweeted about it. I believe we tweeted about it on the Flexibits account, so this is actually important to talk about. But we just submitted, or we submitted last week, Fantastical 1.3, which is an update I know a ton of users are waiting for because it's been our biggest feature request by far, which is support for iCal and iOS reminders. Ooh. Was that good enough? I I, I, I was. I mean, it was. It was better than silence and crickets. Right? <laughs> but, but, but only, way, only just. I was trying exactly. to get the sort of like Green Man from Toy Story <laughs> alien effect, but it sort of went wrong. I felt like the, the aliens coming up. Ooh. Oh, I totally forgot though. Back to the WWDC segment. I wanted to say, don't forget because this is something that is on the site. There is now an app available. So if you're attending WWDC, there's an app you can download that has schedules and other stuff on it. So. Um, that was also very interesting that, you know, here we are, the app is ready and the schedules are out and I think it's really cool and exciting. Just a short little thing I wanted to throw in there. Excellent. Right. Where were we? Okay. So we're going to talk yes. about, you're, you're releasing, um, um, Fantastical 1.3. Um, so now this is something, you know, when, we're so, you know, when you're thinking about your next release or, or coming up to, let's go, let's go right back, right back, right back, as far back as you can remember to just after, you know, was 1.3 in planning even before 1.2 was out or you you get 1.2 out and then start thinking about 1.3? Where do you fit into this model? Do you have a roadmap that you know or do you base it on responses? Yeah, how, let's go right back to the, um, the, the core first. How do you work about releases, what you're going to put in them, etc.? 
So we definitely have a roadmap. I mean, when Fantastical was being designed, just so you know, it's been a year actually. May 17th was the one-year birthday, so to speak, of Fantastical. And uh, we're really excited that in the past year, we've had two, well, I guess if you count 1.0, three major releases, a ton of bug update fixes, and uh, you know, a ton of great feedback from customers. So throughout that process, we always wanted reminders. We wanted reminders from the beginning. But there's a lot of design and programmatic considerations that we had to make. There's how does it how does it work? How will it work with things like iCloud? Um, you know, at that time it was MobileMe, of course, and, and that was available. There, there were a lot of implications of how the things will work. So we've always had a roadmap. We've always had reminders. In fact, we've been promising reminders, so to speak. Which you know, I mentioned earlier, I've been doing this for like 15 years or so, and. I totally fell into the trap. I admit it. I even had someone on Twitter put me to the fire and the coals on it. I totally broke the number one rule, the absolute cardinal rule of software development, which is don't promise anything. Oh, and I you, did it. you did a hockter, didn't you? I did it. I, I, I totally did it. And the, the craziest thing is I advise, as you know, companies on things, and I always say don't discuss stuff, and I did it. I totally, fully guilty as charged, I did it. I announced that reminders would be coming, well, I, I should say we, because I have a business partner, and we discussed this, and he was on board with it, so I'm not going to, i got to put it on someone else too, right, because I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, but he's a developer. But, he, when you're talking to him about marketing, he's just going to nod, because he wants to get on with coding. You can't really blame him. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know my partner. He's awesome. He's, he, he keeps me keeps me kind of, uh, keeps me on check and on point. Hey, we've had him on the show. We know him. Exactly, exactly. Kent's an awesome. He's definitely my 50%. So the thing is, we, we had these discussions about what we're going to say, and we were like, yeah, we'll put it in the next release because it's our biggest feature. And then, so now this gets to the roadmap question. So as we started developing it, and as we started implementing it, we realized that it wasn't going to work the way we wanted it to work. And this is the key, right? You can put reminders in. That's not a hard problem. It's how it works and how the user interacts to it. And you know we do things a little bit different in Flexibits, and it has to be as close to perfect as possible. So we went back to the drawing board a lot. We had to change things, which, of course, delays things, which, of course, then lowers. If you set expectations of things coming out, you ruin those expectations. You cause people to then not believe you and not trust you and get frustrated, and there you go. But we do have roadmaps, and we have features that we're already planning for the future, and no, I will not tell you what they are. Yeah, I've learned. I've learned. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, so um, that's good. So the, we basically learned that you are thinking about the next releases and whatever else, but, you, we, yeah, it's no point talking anymore. Okay, so now you've decided what's in the release. Um, you're coding away. You're testing it. You're sticking it out there. Um, you know, what yeah, what stages do you go through? Let, maybe let's um, – uh, yeah. Maybe it won't work this way, in which case you change it. You know, break down. Uh, you know, what are the big sections of doing a release? And then maybe we'll go into each of those sections in a little bit more detail. But you know, what goes through your head when you sit down with your piece of paper? One point three is coming up. You know, and you have to draw, write all your headings under which you're going to write sure, the task sure. to do. What are your headings that you write on that piece of paper? So I'm I'm not a very big paper kind of guy. I do write down notes and I definitely think of things, but I'll answer pretty simply. So the team is Kent and I, and then we have our designer Raji King, and He's paramount to our project because once we have the ideas of how everything should work, he and I get together and we start talking about the design and how beautiful it'll be and how it'll work for users and what makes sense and what'll be logical and how the user experience will be. And that's usually most of the holdup. That's usually where, again, you know, having a concept like reminders in an app is not difficult. 
having a concept like Reminders, how we did it in Fantastical, we think will be what really resonates with users, and that's what takes the amount of time. So a lot of the holdup with this, and that's not to say that you know there was hard problems, it just was solving it the right way, was in the design. Coming up with a way it would look, how you'd be able to logically switch between reminders and events, because now remember, Fantastical was always events. Now it's events and reminders, and there needs to be a clear user interface and a clear user experience on how to switch between reminders and events. And uh, we feel pretty confident that we've done it in a good way. I mean, it should be intuitive, right? So just to give your listeners a quick idea of how it'll work, it'll just work. You'll enter something like lunch with Scotty tomorrow. It knows it's an event because there's a date and a time. Lunch is is technically a time, right? Lunch is usually at noon and we pick that time. But if you enter buy milk, since there's no time or real context of time or, or date, it knows it's a reminder and it'll just create a reminder. And then we put a switch in that if we detect it incorrectly or if there was something you entered like a reminder but wanted an event, you can click the switch and turn it into an event instantly. I mean, that's what I love about Fantastic Al. It, it, you, you spent the time on that sort of thing. I mean, you know, I just type in what I'm thinking about, you know, what I want to do, and 99 times out of 100, it gets it right. It just, it just gets it right. Or it gets it right enough that I'm still happy. Yeah, that's, that was the goal. I mean, Kent and I had always said with Fantastic Hal, we're never going to get 100% because nothing's 100%. But if we can get it to the point where maybe 9 or even 8 out of 10 times it does what you wanted or close to what you wanted, and then the other 2 or even 3 times, even if it's 7 out of 10, that it gets it wrong, at least if it's wrong, it does something close to what you wanted so there's not a lot of friction in changing it, then that's an app we would want to use and that's an app we would use. So, yeah, I mean... The reminders thing, again, going back to the planning, because I know you asked me about paper and what we put down, we talk about the features a lot. And Kent and I have a lot of discussions. And then we try a lot of prototypes. This is the key, is prototyping. You really want to come up with ideas and discuss them and really beat them down until you think, wow, that could work. Then you need to go build it. And it may seem like a waste of time, but building the prototype and getting it where you can get your hands on it and interact with it, that's how you'll know if it's really going to work because you could spend so much time visualizing if something's going to work and then you go and spend all the time to do the design and the implementation and you build it. And at that point, you may even convince yourself that it's good because it's done. And it's so much better to have something like a prototype that then you can rip apart and change without the risk of saying, oh, look at how much time I invested. I guess I better ship it. So when, when you guys are looking at a release, do you say, okay, these are the features that must go into the release, um, and then you've done your prototyping, you've proven the features work, and then you just keep working until those features are done, and then you release, and that might be six months, nine months, a year, 18 months, or do you say, look, okay, we probably need to release the next release, you know, you know, no more than six months after the last one. So these features are great, but now we've prototyped, we realize we can only develop these two in the next six months, so we're just going to go with those two. So are you totally feature-driven or time-driven or a combination? It's definitely a combination. I would say we're more, I mean, it's, I, I want to say more feature-driven than time-driven, but the thing is this. If you don't update for a long time and you spend a lot of time in between, your users get frustrated and the app gets stale. And that's not, to, that's not just specifically talking about dollars of sales. It gets stale in the sense of the user's mind. If you see an app that hasn't been updated in a year, you may be like, oh, they dropped it. And if something else comes along, you may immediately say, oh, let me check this out. 
where if you have a steady flow of updates, you're probably a little bit more loyal and more active in using the app and been more active of feeling good about the app. So there's definitely a fine balance between the time and the feature-driven approaches. But for us, it's definitely a balance, and sometimes one will overweigh the other. So for example, Reminders was a feature we have been wanting to get out literally since we launched. But another big feature that came into play was localizations. And what's funny about localizations is it's one of those features where in software development typically, English-speaking countries, America, you know, UK, things like that, gener- uh, Australia, generally those make up oh, well, I mean, it's not generally, well over 50% of sales, well over 50% of users, etc., so when you add a feature that then adds French, German, Spanish, and Italian, that's not a feature to these users. So you work on something, and as you know, localization, because we've talked about this, localization was a very, very, probably the most complex feature to add to Fantastical because the whole engine needs to be ported and needs to be converted. That's a feature that we add that doesn't really affect anyone, any English-speaking people. Sorry. So... But let's, just, let's just quickly jump in there, just for a few people who maybe haven't um, seen Fantastical. Basically, the core behind Fantastical is you type in, in natural English initially, um, your sort of event, and Fantastical works it out and puts it into your calendar for you. So obviously, when you localize, it's not just about making sure that the you know the labels are in Italian or whatever else. You need to make sure that the person types in, you know, lunch with Scotty in Italian and it works it all out. So that it was a bigger job than just labels and in, in, in layout for you guys. Yeah, exactly. And if it would have been a simple UI localization, we'd have it in all the languages right now. In fact, we've had some customers approach us saying, hey, can you just localize it in Polish, just the UI? And the answer is no, because if we localize it in Polish, the UI, what's the next thing? Then the expectations are that the events will parse in Polish. And we don't want to create an environment ever that misleads the user or frustrates the user. And while that may be, well, if you don't have the UI in Polish, isn't that fr-? No, I think if you have the UI in Polish but not the engine in Polish, it's way more frustrating than having the UI in Polish, only the UI in Polish. And that's, that's something we've thought about. We've literally talked about, well, maybe we could just localize the UI and that'll be enough. But it really sets an expectation that then lets people down even more and may even be misleading. Oh, well, I downloaded your app. It has it's Polish loca- you know, localization and it doesn't work. Yep. So, so, so I, yeah, I interrupted you anyway. You, you were saying about how you were introducing a you know, feature that uh, 50, 60% of your users wasn't oh, yeah. even a feature. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was really hard for us because that we put more time, I would say, let me think about Well, Reminders have been going on for a while, but I'll say roughly equal. We've put roughly equal the amount of time into localization as Reminders, and this was a feature that really wasn't going to affect the vast majority of users. Even today, even with localization out, the English-speaking countries still by far are our biggest customer base percentage-wise for Fantastical. But we knew and we had the demand and the requests to do these languages, French, German, Spanish, and Italian, that we made the decision to do it. Now, that was a really tough decision because here we are adding a feature that isn't going to affect the larger portion of our user base, but we designed Fantastical to help people, and we really had to make a decision of which languages would be the most cost-effective to do because obviously you have a business to run and you got to get reimbursed for your time, but also which ones we were getting the loudest, most vocal majority of people asking for. And since we've come out with the localizations that we did, we still get localization requests, 
but they're nowhere, you know, they're far and few between from before. So in essence, that localization release did help with sales, absolutely, but it also helped us with support because the loads go down, customers are happy, and now we have an application that's, you know, for sale in multiple countries rather than just English-speaking countries. Okay, so you, you, you base it on um, a, a combination of features and time based on, you know, all the things we've just discussed. So that's really getting the um, the feature set decided, uh, getting it coded. Um, you know, what process do you go through? Do you do a, um, a beta release for every every release coming up? At what point do the first um, users get hold of yeah. it? Be they a sort of very small group or a wider group? Are you using things like Test Flight or Hockey App or any of these things to, to, to get it out? How, how do you start getting this stuff out there to people before you release? Yeah, so I'll tell you about our process of how we do it. So the first thing we do, of course, Kent and I will have an idea and we discuss it a lot. Then we'll bring Raji into the fold, which is our, again, he's our designer. And we work with him to figure out where we're going to go with the design. Then once we get that going, we have some trusted friends and trusted family that we'll run things by just to get some quick, hey, are we doing something completely crazy? Which the good news is, is that we never really get bad feedback from our friends or family, which sometimes we've discussed, well, why show it to them? It's always positive. But it's just a nice check to do before we start to go. Then we start implementing. We work with Raji to get the graphics. We work Ket and I together to start putting the features in. And we have an alpha or a beta, depending on the test. For example, um, I think we've talked about this before. We've definitely made it a public announcement, so I can talk about it here. But we're doing a second app. We're doing an address book app that will allow you to quickly add, edit, and find, and act on your contacts the way Fantastical does it for calendaring. Our new app will do it for address books. And basically, with that app, we're doing an alpha right now. Now, in this case, we're doing an alpha because there's stuff we need to do with an engine that we need to test. But we send out an alpha. We are using Hockey App, which, of course, I love. And I should give a disclaimer. I'm actually working with those guys now. I'm doing some advisory stuff, and I'm part of the team with them, helping them with UI and UX. So full disclaimer and full uh, clarity, I am working with those guys. But I was I think you know this well. I was using their product since it came out, and it's always been a critical part of my workflow, and that's why I decided to go work with them. But then we distribute our builds through Hockey App. We get great feedback through Hockey App because that also reports back crash reporting and stuff like that. And then off we go. We get feedback from our testers. We get feedback from, you know, whether it's uh, user interface stuff or engine stuff. We tweak. We refine. We edit. We modify. And then we start getting to the point where obviously we're in beta. We're in final beta and we're getting ready to release. Okay. So that's that's the sort of technical side. Um sort of yep. you, know, you yeah. dealt with all right so let, let's let's move into more of the um you know the business side so we, we you know, um so is the businessman of the company or the, the the one who does mainly does the business side you know right how how are you approaching a release at what point do you start becoming business-wise interested in a release and then what's the process and procedure you go through um so everything ties up together on, on the day when you you say go yeah, well, sometimes, I, still to this day, I don't know how it all comes together, but basically, I'll actually take you through, since we're doing Fantastical 1.3 now, basically, we're waiting for approval from Apple, but we have to have our ducks in a row, right, because we need to release. So I'll take you through the part of what I'm doing now. So we declare 1.3, final candidate, gold master, whatever, everyone has different you know names for it, whatever, but we declare 1.3 done, and then... Kent prepares a binary, we upload it, there we go. Now you want to talk about the business part of it. So we have to obviously get our website updated. 
We have to get our press release updated. We have to get our blog post updated. We have to think about Twitter and Facebook, which we use to communicate about updates. And we have to get stuff ready for support, our FAQ, et cetera. So yes, we have a checklist for this. So then we get into action. I start updating the press release. I start coming up with text for the website. In this case, because of reminders, we have a screencast on our website. That screencast obviously needs to be updated because we need to put reminders in that screencast. You don't want to have a screencast that's old and outdated. So we have to work with the company that we use for our screencast and get them going, which they're really great. They're called Hilo Media, just to give them a shout out. Um, and uh, it's hilomedia.com, H-I-L-O media.com. Always good to give shout outs to good people. Um, and then anyway, we get the screencast done. Then the website needs to be updated because we have to talk about that. The app store description has to be updated and it has to be updated in five languages. So I have to get all that out, the localizations ready for that. The what's new text for the Mac app store as, long, as well as the in-app Sparkle update for our own build needs to be updated. So I have to get the what's new out to our localizers and get that localized. And uh, I'm sure I've left stuff out, but as you can see, it's a lot of balls to juggle at a release time. And all these things have to be done more or less in about a framework of a week or so, seven to ten days, and then that's it. We dial it in, we proofread it, we make sure everything's staged and ready to go, and then we'll pick a release date. We have a release date in mind, but of course this is up to Apple because Apple has to approve the binary that we submitted. So we have a tentative date we'd like to release it, but you know, Apple can go over in time with the approval and then we have to rechange the date. But we have all of our stuff ready for the early first date, which is ready now. Okay, so explain to me, why does this stuff go on over a case of just a, just a week or two when, you know, why don't you do it a little earlier or take a little longer over it? Is it just because you choose to do it that way? Or, you know, it's, you've just, you've, you've just listed an awful lot of stuff. Um, yep. You know, why, why put yourself under such pressure? Well, for, for at least for Kent and I, this is just the way we do it. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a pressure. I think it's more fun. But I would say, looking back, I think if you do these things along the way, they have a way of changing during the time that you're developing. If an issue comes up in beta, if something happens during a, a test, a bug comes up, I, I mean, I think the problem is if you do it early on, you end up changing it more often than if you have it done at the end when you know everything is dialed into the release, then you just do it, it's done, and you don't have to revisit it. If you do it early on, you may afford yourself more time, but I think that's made up by the times you'll have to go back, tweak, change. You know, what, what's new notes, for example? The what's new might change. You may fix another bug. You may add another feature. At the end, you may go, ooh, actually, with reminders, we could have added this. Then you have to go back to your localizers and ask them to relocalize it. Also, Mac App Store has screenshots. We have to update that screenshot to get the reminders in there. Again, what if something changes in the user interface? We've created a screenshot. Now we have to go back and tweak it again. So I think doing it at the end, once everything is definitely finalized, because you have your final build that you're ready to submit to Apple and, of course, ready for your own site if you sell on your own store, it's better to have everything done at once and, comp and compressed and compacted so you're not going back multiple times to actually have to change things. Okay, you, you listed a whole bunch of stuff with you know website, Facebook, Twitter, press releases, screencasts, obviously the stuff on the App Store. Do you, uh, I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff. Do you know what 
works well, which ones of those work well, what proportion of traffic you think you get from any one of those, and therefore how to prioritize them, or is it just a, I know we need all of those, and we can't quite you know, quantify what's coming from where, but we those are our set that we've decided on, we've just got to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's very different for a release, like a 1.0 release from an update. What you're asking about is marketing, and sure, there's going to be marketing that we do with 1.3, especially with reminders coming out because it's such a big feature. But with a feature like with a feature like reminders, it's one of those things where I think a lot of the buzz from the users who have been waiting for it will hopefully do most of the marketing because it's one of those features everyone's been it's, it's something everyone's been waiting for. But yeah, there are things you definitely want to do or you want to get ready in terms of getting the buzz out and promoting it and stuff like that. That's where like the press release comes in handy or that's where review copies come in handy or maybe giveaways or working with sponsoring a show or something like that. Um, obviously, with marketing, it's a whole long topic and we could do a whole show on just marketing and what, what I like to do in terms of how much marketing. But again, that varies per app. It varies per platform and approach. But I think just the short version to your question is in that release that I described where you're doing the press release and you're doing the website and you're doing the Mac App Store, all those things are forms of marketing, right? We don't have to put up a nice screenshot. We don't have to update our website. We don't have to update our screencast. We don't have to update things like that. So all of those things are marketing because when someone comes and they have a great experience and a clear explanation of what the feature is and they see it over and over persistently, that helps sell a copy hopefully. Okay, maybe we'll we will do a whole show on marketing fairly soon. Um, Look what I've done. <laughs> you've just you've just committed yourself to, to to more 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 stuff. I mean, do you look for a major? Okay, you're you're calling this one point three. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your release numbers. Okay, some people might say reminders. You know, that's like another fifty percent of the product. Why isn't this two point zero? Yeah, is this a, is this I, because I, I, I now with this. the App Store, there's no upgrade fees, so you might as well just keep rolling it, or um, you know. Yeah, what's your view on version numbers and features and any of that sort of stuff? So I'm definitely, definitely consciously going to walk a fine line here because in a sense what I'm about to talk about is future releases and future updates. And obviously I don't want to commit and I don't want to get customers <laughs> upset. But the short version is we originally planned on Reminders to be a 2.0 release with a lot of other features. And we realized at one point with the trouble that Reminders was that we were taking time off of those other features and putting time into Reminders, and then we were delaying these other features, and we feel a true proper 2.0 release, and I guess it really depends per app, so don't take this as one size fits all, but a proper 2.0 release usually has some form of maybe UI refinement or something major in the app. And for us, we just we had a point where we said, are we going to do this as a 2.0 release? And if we are, it's going to be a lot longer and it's going to be something that we probably want to charge for an upgrade. Again, Mac App Store doesn't make it easy to charge for upgrades, but we had a plan that we were looking at that actually was very similar to what Panic did, which we're really glad they did it because they kind of blazed the trail, which is you release a new version. It is a new SKU. You do an upgrade path for a day where existing customers, you give them a heads up that it's going to be available and you can pay for it at a lower price. Then if you miss that day, it's a little bit more, but you know, at least you're not out in the cold. And then eventually it goes up to what the price is. And that's really the only way you can handle upgrades on the Mac App Store. But we did not want to delay Reminders any longer. And it was a really tough decision because, as you just said, Reminders is one of those features that 
we're we're highly certain we could have charged for an upgrade and gotten it. But we did promise it. This was the kiss of death thing. We did promise it. We never said that it was going to be a major upgrade or people would have to pay. We're customers too. We didn't want people getting upset. And I realized that it may be a loss of revenue. But on the other hand, you have to sometimes do what's right for your customers and what you've said and stand behind what your word is. So we will do a 2.0 of Fantastical and it will be a major release and it'll have a ton of new features. And there's a lot of features still that people are asking for and there'll even be some UI refinements. And we think that will be enough to get people to want to upgrade. If it isn't, then fantastic. You have Fantastical 1.0 or 1.3 or whatever the version will be, 1.3.x by that point, And it'll have reminders and events and a ton of features and it'll work and be supported. But 2.0s are really tough because, again, with this reminders feature, it absolutely could have been a 2.0 release. But we made a mistake of saying that reminders would be coming in an update. In fact, I think at one point we set a free update. So you get yourself painted into corners. But on the other hand, then you have to make a decision of do you do the right thing for your existing users who have supported you or do you just make it about money and just get you know get, get compensated for your time? Now, it was a tough decision because our time is our money. And if we're spending time on reminders, we could say to our users, hey, sorry, we thought it would be free. It was more work. You'll have to pay. But we made a fair compromise that we were able to get reminders in 1.3 without a lot of the new features because there were a lot of new features planned for 2.0. Those are punted. No one's waiting for those because we haven't promised them. No, I did not promise them now. I said, we're working on stuff. And uh, yeah, there you go. Excellent. So, I mean, we've talked about you have to do press release and how big or whatever. That will depend on whether you're changing features or whether it's, you know, obviously you don't do too big a press release if it's just a bug fix. Um, you need to make sure all your documentation, that's Facebook, Twitter, uh, um, your website and the app store is all up to date. Okay, so the day comes and uh, the app goes out, the downloads start screaming in, millions of people are taking it either via the Sparkle feed or via the app store updates or, you know, encouraging new people to buy it. Is there anything you gear up for as a company for that sort of you know day, week, month after a release? Do you do you do things differently on those days than you would do just on a normal day, or is it your company's geared up that that's just normal days again now? We're now on release one point four. No, it's definitely right after release is done. It's definitely a crazy time. Support loads go up, questions go up, confusion goes up, sales hopefully goes up, which also means. Just because sales go up, it's not one of these things where you're like, oh, yeah, sales go up. This doesn't mean anything. I mean, it certainly means a lot of things because you're getting contacted also for review copies. Again, back to the support thing, it, a lot of activity goes. So for a period of time after the release, it's definitely released focus time. I know you've seen my talks at conferences, especially NS Conference, and I always talk about once you ship your app, that's not it. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done post-ship. And just like with this, with the you know 1.3 update, whether it's 1.3 or 2.0, there is a lot of work that has to be done in the weeks following. You have to obviously there's going to be bugs. Obviously there's going to be questions and confusion. You may have to update your FAQ. You have to stay on top of things. You have to look at Twitter, make sure people aren't upset, make sure there's not any issues that are causing problems, and so on and so forth. So I would say it's probably about a two week period, maybe up to three after release, that you're kind of focused on that. We're definitely still working on other stuff while that's going on, but a large portion of the time is set to that release. Okay, you're moving into this uh, place of being a 
um, provider of multiple applications. You know, it's something that's very common in indie companies um, to have two, three, maybe even four or five applications for some of them. You know, when you're build, uh, do you focus on one at a time um, to do stuff? Do you do a little bit on this one, a little bit on that one? Does that change when you're coming close to a release? You know, how how do you balance? You know, working on on two two different applications. So with our new address book app and Fantastic House, since we are doing two apps at once, um, it's, this was a big burden to us because we were, as I mentioned, working on reminders and 2.0 features, uh, forward-looking 2.0 features, and it was taking all of our time. We actually did get help. Uh, we've hired some contractors to help us with our address book app. So that obviously opened up a lot of bandwidth. And we have other product ideas that we want to do, but again, it's all about bandwidth. So... Hopefully, if sales continue to stay strong with Fantastic Cal 1.3, if our new address book app comes out and does very well, that'll afford us more money to obviously hire people or more contractors to then do a third app and so on and so forth. So we don't want to get super big. Our goal isn't necessarily to become huge, but we definitely want to make the apps we want to make and having income to allow us to do that is definitely something that makes it easier. So that's that's how we're handling bandwidth with our second app is we were lucky enough to be able to hire some contractors to help us with it. Okay, that's a nice nice position to be in. Okay, now, uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're drawing near the end of our time. Um, so we've both got reasonably hard cutoffs today. I mean, is there any last nugget of information you would like to squeeze out there that you're going to sort of explode if I don't give you the opportunity to share? <laughs> no, I was just I, I always I always say this. I want to just say it again. But you know, with as I said to you, with hired the contractors on the second app. I love Walt Disney's quote about we don't make movies to make money, we make money to make movies. And that has definitely always been my feeling, no matter what company I've worked for or whenever I've worked in Apple software. I definitely make I definitely don't make apps to make money. I make money to make apps. And Flexibits, as you know, we do productivity software and our goal is to make great apps that help people become more productive. So, you know, hopefully with more money that we make, we can make more apps. And we're doing that by reinvesting by getting contractors to do our dress book app and so on and so forth. So I think if anyone's listening or they're working on apps or they have a product, really to think about, you know, having a good way of working on their app, but having a future vision of how that app is going to make them money to then afford them maybe to make more apps or make a better feature or better upgrade or bring someone else on to open up bandwidth. So it's not just about the marketing and it's not just about the money. It's also about the ability to create better products going forward. That's a good philosophy. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Michael. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure as usual. Um, people have probably picked up quite a lot about the name of your company and the name of your app through the conversation because that's basically all we've spoken about um, for obvious reasons. Uh, but just to remind people again where they can find the website, where they can you know, find Twitter, Facebook page, anything you want them to know about. Yeah, basically the website's flexibits.com, F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S.com. Our app is Fantastical. It's available on the Mac App Store or directly from our Flexibit store on our site. And uh, as mentioned, 1.3 is getting ready to be released anytime soon. We're just waiting for approval from Apple. And actually, I'll throw this in because this is a question that comes up a lot. Why don't we release our own version since we have our own store versus the Mac App Store? Why don't we release our own version before? The answer is it's not to hold it back or to be jerks to our customers. Mac App Store does a testing process. And during that testing process, they may find a bug. We did actually have a customer get mad at us and say, why are you letting Apple be your QA? And it's not that we're letting Apple be our QA. We're developers and we know that all code has bugs and we may not catch one. And if Apple catches one and we release 1.3 to our users and then we have to release a secondary 1.3.2 point 
A or A1 or whatever it is, there may be confusion. So we just wait and we do a simultaneous release. And I think it's better to do that because, again, you may think your app is bug-free, but then if something comes back from Apple, now you're juggling two releases. Yeah, that's a very good point. Right, well, uh, thank you very much for uh, for sharing with us. Uh, thank you very much for you guys listening out there. Uh, thank you very much to the chat room. You've been very quiet today, chat room, actually. Very, very quiet. Maybe it's just all that uh, attention you're giving to the excellent information that we're feeding you. Um, there will be some show notes. In fact, let me have a quick chat about the show notes, because maybe people don't even know there are show notes. Now, the show notes won't be huge for today, but if we mention a link on the show, if we talk about a company on the show, if we talk about some product on the show or anything like that, um, it all goes in the show notes. Now, um, if if you want to read the show notes for a particular episode, if you just go to ideveloper.tv slash podcast, find the episode you want. There'll be a link there for show notes. It will take you to the show notes page. If you just go subscribe to the ideveloper.tv blog, the show notes are just the post in the blog and you will get them automatically. Um, so that's at ideveloper.tv slash blog and uh, stick your RSS reader or whatever you use uh, just there. So um, uh, please do check out the show notes and it uh, saves you on to scribble down notes as you go along. Um iTunes comments we'd love a few fresh ones there have been a few coming along recently but uh, always love some iTunes comments and what happens is the more comments a show gets uh, the more likely it is to be featured on a on, you know a what's hot page on iTunes which means it's easier for more people to find out about the show and um, come on board and that uh, makes uh, everybody happy ah, so there we are episode 54 coming to an end want to thank our sponsors rem objects um for the uh, coming on board and just you know they put no pressure on us they just say guys do whatever you like you know just we want to support the show just make sure you you know say something about us that's not too horrible um and they're a cool bunch of guys and uh um you know they're realistic that you know they know that not everybody is doing multi-tier stuff and in whatever else but you know they just want to let you know about it, and we're happy to do that for them because they're a nice bunch of guys, and they really understand the community. That's it. That's been iDeveloper Live, episode 54. I'm here now desperately trying to queue up the music to finish the show before uh, um, uh, you know, it all goes wrong, and I'm just going to keep waffling on and on and on, but I think the music's about ready, so it's at this point I can say, until next time, you take care. Thank you.